there's a there's a book that I've been reading. It's called it's called Sixty Days, a spiritual guide to thy holidays. It starts off from thirty days before Rosh Hashanah, and it goes until after Simchat Torah. It's called Sixty Days of Self Refinement, and I want to read you today's today's piece only because it works so perfectly into tonight's class. And uh, I feel bad because I know that I wanted to have copies here for people and didn't get the copies of this book, but it's a fantastic book, and I'll try to get some copies in next week. The Baal Shem Tov taught that everything we see, whether good or bad, is really a reflection of ourselves. If it was not, we'd simply not see it. This phenomenon is part of a merciful way that God has of teaching us lessons in life. Most of us have a difficult time hearing from others that we have a flaw which we ourselves don't recognize. Therefore, God sets up to have a confrontation with a person who exhibits that same flaw in some form. We see it and we say, how terrible. But then it dawns on us that we exhibit the same behavior through perhaps in different form. The same is true for positive things. We recognize a positive characteristic in others because we have it in ourselves. If we didn't have any element of it, we wouldn't recognize it. In other words, you are what you see, and you see what you are. There's a Facebook status update right there. You are what you see, and you see what you are. Many Jews living in Germany in the 1930s didn't recognize the evil of the German people because they had none of it in themselves. They couldn't fathom that anyone could murder them in cold blood. If you are incapable of a crime, it's impossible to imagine that someone else is capable of it. There are atrocities that we can't even relate to because we are not capable of doing such a thing ourselves. The same is true for goodness or holiness. Many of us are cynical because we never met anyone truly holy or truly pure. So we don't believe that it's possible to be that way because it's not part of our own experience. So the, med- the, the, the experience for tonight that he has here, I'll just share it with you. Ask yourself, are you cynical about the holiness of others? Do you see the goodness around you? When confronted with a behavior that you dislike, are you able to see the same flaw in some form in yourself? And then he has an exercise every day. This is the exercise for today, just because it fits so well with what we're going to talk about tonight. So, of the events of the past day, select a positive experience to identify the goodness you encountered is embodied in you. If the events of the past day select a negative experience and identify how it reflects a negative characteristic that you possess. You see, often in our lives, we say, why me? Why did I have to experience this? Or why did I have to see this? Or why did this have to be? And we wonder, because it doesn't make sense that 
as we spoke about last week, that it should be so directed, so focused, almost like it was meant for us to see it from the beginning of, of creation. Why me? Why did I have to see it? Why did I have to experience it? Why did it have to be part of my existence? Why me? Everything that happens in the world, according to the Baal Shem Tov, is meant to be a learning experience for us. Ever hear anyone say, do you have to look both ways? Do you have to get hit by a car to know to look both ways before you cross the road? Sometimes we see something as to almost not have to experience ourselves. We say, oh my gosh, how could this person do this? And you can even go over to the person and say, do you have any idea what you just did? No. Do you know what just happened? No. They don't even see it. They don't even realize it. Because maybe what they did was not meant for them to see, but rather for you and me to see. Maybe what they did was not meant as their experience, but rather my experience. And so, coming into this frame of mind, coming into this realm of forgiveness, what am I forgiving tonight? I've already forgiven, from lesson one, all of those who have done wrong to me. I've already forgiven, from last week, all of those who will do wrong to me. So what now? Where can we go from now? Where does forgiveness stand in our lives? Well, tonight we talk about the future. We talk about who we are and how we see the world. And we navigate it according to the way we're going to forgive. You see, will our forgiveness work? Will all the experiences and all the things we're doing this week as part of our 30 days of forgiveness, when we enter the synagogue Rosh Hashanah, Will it really have affected us to the point where we have changed? That's my question to you tonight. Let's talk about it further. Pass this around. Pass, just pass it back. You can leave a bunch of the door for whoever is coming in there. It seemed to be from the feedback I got from last week's class that I wasn't, as they said, Kabbalistic enough. So tonight, we're going to go a little more Kabbalistic, and we're really going to see how Kabbalah and the Torah define forgiveness in our reality. So, here we go. At sunset, on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, God will remove some of his light from the world. He will still remain present in a basic way, of course, or the world could not exist. But that presence will be remote, withdrawn, we're going to call it. Then he will wait. What is he waiting for? Or for those of you who... What is she waiting for? He waiting for? Depends on which side of God you look at. There's the female of the name. 
waiting for us. A good offense is a good defense, as they say. The first move is always ours. Always. We have to desire. We have to want. We have to be able to make that first move. What happens afterwards is only one to two. But zero to one is the hardest part. Is there a difference between zero to one and one to two? Is there? Is there a difference between zero to one and one to two? So basic, the basic difference is you went from nothing to something and then something to something. So zero to one, in essence, becomes the greater challenge than one to two. Now, is there a, it, does that mean that it doesn't matter one to ten? Is there a greater difference between zero to one and one to ten? The answer is obviously yes. Going from nothing to something is the entire wealth of the experience. It doesn't matter. You see, there are people who talk. There are people who are really good talkers, I can tell you. There are people who know how to talk, and they can talk, and they can talk. But what do they do? And our challenge in this world is not to speak, because speaking is our natural trait. We're very easy. It's very flowy. It's very nice. For most of us, we can talk. You put us in a room, give us a subject, and we'll just talk and talk and talk. We are not in the world of Dibur. We're in the world of Maaseh. We're in the world of action, not the world of speech. God did use speech to create this world. I grant you that. But we're not in the world of speech. The world of action. That's why the entire purpose of being in this world, according to Kabbalah, is to do a mitzvah. To do a mitzvah. Not to speak a mitzvah. Not to experience the intent and the divine spark in the mitzvah. Not even to meditate on the mitzvah. But to do the mitzvah. Our actions is the entire purpose for us being here. That's why, on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, God will will wait for us to start for us to make the move. Now, at around midday of that holy day, when Jews in every corner of the world acknowledge God's sovereignty with prayers and the blowing of the shofar, God will once again agree to be our king. He will recommit to his relationship with our world. And when God does so, it will be with an entirely new level of light and power. Entirely new possibilities. Possibilities that never existed before will enter the world. You know how we know that? Because next year, you're going to make money that you didn't make this year. It's a very basic understanding of the new possibilities. The new possibilities that are going to happen to you next year will enter into this world when we coronate God after the blowing of the shofar on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. We will advance one giant step closer to what we'll call tonight our ultimate destiny. But the first move has to come from us. We must renew 
our contract with our Creator if the world will continue to exist. Each year, the world, we must choose God. Why the chauffeur? Seems a little bit barbaric in its own right. Nothing against it, but it's... So, how do you celebrate your new year? Bottle of champagne? No, I blow a ram's horn. Come on. So, you're going to the party? Yeah, sure, I'm going to hear the ram's horn. The ram's horn? You didn't hear the ram's horn? No, see, today you can't even... You can't even say it's a ram's horn. It's a shofar. It almost sounds French. Shofar. You spell it with a C-H? What's this shofar? I was once walking down the street in Rosh Hashanah. Actually, last year. I was walking down Monk in Rosh Hashanah. And this guy stops me. He says, is that a shofar? <laughs> <laughs> so, with all his drama, I go... Yes, it is. <laughs> he says, we have one of these instruments in our symphony, but we just, we don't really play it because we don't have it and we don't know how it's played. But we have it, it resembles in our symphony. I always wanted to see a shofar. So I said, okay, here it is. He says, do you know how to play it? I said, well, I'd love to play it, but I have to, it's not just something on Rosh Hashanah that you just played, you know? <laughs> But, uh, so, what's with the shofar? What power does this primitive instrument have to bring down such an intense and essential light? Because think about it. It's that light the shofar brings that coronates God as king. So, what power does this little ram's horn have to bring down the light that will create, that will change the entire course of the universe for another year. More than a simple horn, the shofar is an instrument of transformation. Its sound is like a heartbroken cry, and its power is the power of tears. It's a very famous story I must repeat it because every time I hear it, it just it gives me a new a newfound hope. The story dates back to the old country in Europe somewhere. No one exactly knows the, the, how it originated, but we've been told it's been told in many different ways. This is the way that I heard it: a young orphan boy, grown up with the animals in the forest. After many years, one day ventured off into the fields and chanced upon a little town. He saw in this town that all the stores were closed. No one was to be seen. In a distance, he could hear some sounds. He walked closer to the sounds. And there was a small, there was a small little building there. He walked in. And the entire community was amidst the prayer on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. 
never spoken a word in his life. He didn't even know how to speak a language. Just listening to the fervor and the resounding tunes of the Chazin, experiencing the potency of their words, not even knowing what they meant, he started screaming the only sounds that he knew. Cock-a-doodle-doo! Cock-cock-cock! Tweet-tweet-tweet-tweet-tweet-tweet-tweet! He started since these sounds, people in front of him could hear him, but the sounds started getting louder. Cock-a-doodle-doo! Tweet-tweet-tweet-tweet-tweet-tweet! It got louder and louder, and people started stopping their prayers, turning to see this young boy who was just making the sounds of animals. An hour went by, and this boy just made one sound after another with such intense fervor, such such intense expression. After he was done, he left the synagogue, never to be seen again. The congregation turned to the rabbi, the holy Baal Shem Tov, And said, why didn't you stop him? Making a mockery of the prayer. The Baal Shem Tov smiled and he said, it was because of the sounds of this little farm boy that your prayers went up to heaven this year. Because of his prayers, your prayers were answered. Which, by the way, is the reason why we go to synagogue. Because if you think about it, to get an elevated spiritual experience, you can do that at home. You can sit down and meditate and and, and think it over and, and experience it and pray. Why not spend the holiest day of the year by yourself in seclusion? That would make sense. We go to synagogue because maybe his prayer or maybe her prayer will get all of our prayers up. So, you're going to say, why don't I go to the the biggest synagogue in the world? I have a better chance. Because spirituality is not within the confines. It doesn't mean that if you go to the biggest synagogue, because you can go to the biggest synagogue, it doesn't mean that you're going to get your prayer answered. But going and spending it together with others, in a place of love, in an environment of joy, in an environment of feeling then for sure the prayers get answered. The small little ram's horn, what power does it have? Living in a physical world, subject to the many stresses and challenges of life on earth, and subjugated to the relentless demands of our body and our ego, we are not even remotely aware of our own true potential. Our soul, with all of its unlimited awareness, insight, creativity, love, and power, is trapped and suppressed. But when our defenses break down, when we come face to face with our essential smallness and vulnerability within this vast universe, we cry out to God. In this cry, 
this intense awareness of our own limitations is what sets us free. A broken-hearted cry can release our soul from its prison and leave us open to something completely new. This freedom, not coincidentally, is also connected with the trumpet blast of the shofar. In fact, it is the blast of the great shofar, the shofar of redemption, that will herald the ultimate freedom of transformation in the end of days. Weakness and power, smallness and greatness, isolation and unity, slavery and freedom, how do they go together? And how is that the very same sound that can symbolize both? It's obviously a story of this ram's horn that we don't understand. A story that peers into our hearts and souls, that connects us in a powerful way that will allow us to change in a way that we've never changed before, just by listening to its tune. Uh, so why hasn't happened it? Why hasn't it happened to me in previous years? Every year I hear that chauffeur sound. Should I be able to say what you're saying here? Should I be able to feel it, at least a little bit of it? That's what we're doing here now. How you come, how you see the world is how the world will see you. If we prepare ourselves for this experience, the experience will transform us. We need to prepare ourselves for the experience to be transformed. We can't expect to be transformed just because. It's our initiative. It's our turn first. If we make the first move, God takes care of the rest. But what about this world of opposites? Kabbalah explains that everything that exists is made up of opposites. The opposite of darkness is light. The opposite of evil is good. The opposite of death is life. The opposite of slavery is freedom. Wherever one is found, so is its opposite. Remember that. Wherever one is found, so is its opposite. They grow together, they go together, they fly together. One cannot be seen without the other. They define each other. Without one, the other could not exist. They need each other to experience the world together. They create the beauty of this world. They create the brilliance of this world. They create the wonder of this world. They make the world the magnificent place that it is. They must all go together. Whether we like it or we don't. They live together and they breathe together. However, these negative states have no intrinsic reality. Darkness 
is not a permanent condition. Just like the first step in throwing a ball is to move the arm backwards, the darkness is actually a prelude, a gateway to a far more powerful light. To experience a greater light, we need a greater darkness because it's balance. Any person who jumps will tell you, the lower you bend your knees, the higher potentially, if you can, you can jump. The greater darkness is then continued by a more magnificent light because they go together. So if something that seems very dark has happened to us in our life, we can expect, not always by chance, but by choice, we can expect a greater light. Which means if we take the first step, if we take the initiative and do something about it, we can expect that the next step will be the greater, a greater step than we ever experienced, if we've experienced a greater darkness than we ever experienced. They must balance each other out. Unfortunately, in our world of passiveness, we don't realize that. So we'll allow even a greater darkness and gets greater and greater and greater until we realize, hold on a second, I'm not balancing out my darkness. It's time to cash in on all the light. And all it takes is moving that direction. We can't expect it to happen by itself. By itself, maybe the prelude will happen, because that's part of the world's experience, which we'll talk about later on this evening. That's why. That's why tears can be so transformational. Paradoxically, it's only in realizing our smallness, weakness, and aloneness the limits of our ego-based existence that we create an opening to expand beyond our perceived limits and become who we were truly born to be. This possibility for transformation is intensely present on the holiest day of the year, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, when the world begins anew. When the world begins anew, it's the best time for our lives to begin anew. Because we can take the energy of the world. Why is it? You're feeling down. Sitting all alone on your sofa, couch, whatever you call it. You're feeling down. Somebody calls you up and says, let's go out. And you go out. The moment they call you up, first step. Initial interaction is already uplifting. Then you go out and your whole night has changed. Why? Because you're going out, you're being around others, you're feeding off that positivity and that collective experience of others, such as what's happening in this room right now. If you stay inside, you'll never know what the night can bring. You'll never know what experiences you can have and how your life can change. The same story with the world. You see, the world is created anew on Rosh Hashanah. Literally. Brand new every single year. Now, we have the ability to tap into that new world. We can. Just by actually doing something. Well, the first step is going into the synagogue. That's the first step. 
because that is part of tapping into that world experience, to that world anew experience. Now, once we're there, we can sit and we can listen to the melodious sounds of the cantor and clap our hands and say, wonderful job. Or we can really reflect and pray and create this experience in a very, very real way. So what we're doing is we're actually tapping into the world's energy and then allowing ourselves. How do we do it? How do we do it? Starting today. Two weeks. Two weeks from tonight. That's it. That's all we have. Perfect amount of time. We leave our past behind. We leave our past and we say, you're in the arsenal. We tie it up with a string, we put it on a stick and we throw it over our shoulder. We leave it there because we may need it one day. We're not getting rid of it, we're just throwing it in the bag. Put it in the attic. You never know when you need it. Then you can go up in the attic about 30 years later and say, hey, I remember that. That's okay. That's for therapy. Once we make a proclamation, a resolve to move forward, whatever happens, happens. You want to let it stick, stick you in the face every single day, you can let it. Believe me, it knows how to, well, as we say in Yiddish, it literally means like a mouse in a hole. <laughs> if you want to let it in, it'll come in any way it can. That's its job. That's the job of the universe. But, if you stay, hold on a second. All these experiences were just a prelude to the light. Well, hold on a second. Where's the light? The light is where we let it in. One of the greatest debates amongst theologians is... Is darkness a creation on its own, or is it the absence of light? And throughout generations, there's hundreds of thousands of debates, some a little more poetic than others, some a little more rational than others, and some even a little more educational than others. But there's hundreds of thousands of these debates. Is darkness a creation on its own, or is it the absence of light? I'm not even going to answer the question for you tonight. It's your choice. What I'm saying is it's your choice. You can decide how to let the light in. If darkness is your creation, it's your creation. If darkness is just the prelude and the absence of light, then where is the light? Let it in already. Because the moment the light comes in, the darkness doesn't exist. It's that simple. The darkness is if it never happens. You go look around. You say, is it dark here? No, it's not dark. Turn off the light. It's dark. 
Turn it back on. The darkness never happened. You can make it as if the darkness never existed. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just by turning on the light. That's my challenge to you for 14 days. Figure out a way to turn on the light. Through spirituality, through a mitzvah, through making some kind of positive resolve to change. Each of us at our own level, we have the ability to make a positive resolve to change. Something. We're not saying change a life. That's it. My old life is out the door. New Year's resolution. You know what New Year's resolution happens? You go back next year. Didn't I make that last year? <laughs> no more New Year's resolutions. One small step for man. One giant step for my, mankind. Right? Just one little action. We're not saying change everything. Change something. What's harder Zero to one or one to ten. Zero to one is always harder, hands down. And that's what God says. All I want you to do is the zero to one. I'll take care of the one to ten. Just get me to one. That's it. On this Rosh Hashanah, I made a mistake. In the year 5771. I'm very excited about 770. I can't believe it's leaving me. But, uh, <laughs> so I just, I haven't, it hasn't really set in on me yet. But year 5771, transformation is not only more possible, but more necessary than ever before. Every year on Rosh Hashanah, the world waits, suspended in dark space between the old light and the new. In Kabbalah, it's called Mosid al-Shnei Ha-Sifim. It's holding between two points, right in the center, right suspended between darkness and light, between two ways of being there. There's always an empty space. In video editing, they call it a slug. If you ever edit a video, you know, if, to make a proper transition between two scenes in a movie, they use what's called a slug. It's a blank, dark space that is put in about a second or two, but that way they can transition scene one into scene two without you seeing, almost like otherwise you would see two pictures overlapping each other. 
That way they fade one out and fade one in, and all they're fading it over black. That way you can see, you won't see the transition of the scenes so easily, and it can go more subtly. And that's what happens every single year. There's that little black space suspended, a slug. A space of transition. In this space, we have the opportunity to let go of the old, the pettiness, the resentments, the past mistakes, the failures, the fears. Put them in a bag. Tie them up. They don't belong to me anymore. I'll stick them in the attic. Let go. We can embrace a brand new way of being, a more passionate sense of purpose. We can commit ourselves to a new level of kindness, respect, and compassion for the people around us, those we already love and those we could love if we only stopped being angry, defensive, or afraid. In opening ourselves to life, we create the greatest possible opening for God to inscribe us in the book of life for a year that is good and sweet in the truest sense. But this Rosh Hashanah has a more awesome power. On this Rosh Hashanah, the world awaits the threshold of redemption. In these unprecedented times of intense level of darkness hovers over the earth. Our world is shaking. Terror, war, mind-numbing natural disasters, and crisis in the Middle East cast a threatening shadow over our lives. These times are frightening and challenging. But this darkness is nothing more or less than a gateway to an entirely new reality. The first step to this new reality is turn off the TV. That's the first step. In order to change, we must be in a state that we can change. To go tell a compulsive gambler to change in the casino. It doesn't work. Go tell an alcoholic to change in the liquor store. To change, we must first take ourselves out of our old reality. Whatever that means. And we all know what that means. In our own way. We all have the old reality. You can't expect to create a new reality without taking yourself out of the old reality. And all it simply really is, and we all know it, it's just actually physically removing ourselves from that reality. We must be able to create our new reality without the ability of our old reality to penetrate. These chaotic times were foreseen in the great detail a millennia ago by the sages of biblical times. A full discussion of these times and prophecy are way beyond the scope. But read the words below from the Talmud at the end of the tractate of Sota and see whether or not 
They describe our world today. I'll read them. This is word-for-word translation. I checked it over a couple of times. Insolence and self-centeredness will increase. There will be oppressing inflation. People will be addicted to the good life, and the costs will be high. Moral standards will dissolve. Morality and wisdom will be denigrated. There will be unbridled irresponsibility on the part of authorities. Centers of learning will turn into centers of immorality. Poverty will increase. The young will denigrate the old. Families will disintegrate. Leadership will be impudent. The world will see a succession of troubles, epidemics of terrible diseases, and international confrontations. The face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. Just as dogs are not embarrassed by anything they do, so too people will lose their sense of embarrassment. It's about two and a half thousand years old. The Talmud and Sota, right at the end, the last, the last piece of a Talmud of Sota. Word for word translation. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it's predicted for now. I'm just reading you the Talmud. You can decide for yourself. It says. It says in the end of days. That's what it says. Okay, so you look at me and you say, now what? You just set, up, set me up for uh, all the terrible things that are coming back into my life and I'm seeing, I'm realizing I'm in a world of chaos and a world of terror and a world where I have to look behind my back all the time. Let's change it all. Against this challenging, chaotic backdrop, we are being called upon to expand beyond our boundaries to strengthen our relationship with our Creator, and to actualize our own potential as partners in creation. Something incredible is going on in our world today, and we all see it and we know it. There's a spiritual renaissance. More than ever, we're realizing that we need something concrete, something true, something real in our lives that's not going to corrupt us, change us, destroy us. There's a need to connect to a higher power. Now you can call that higher power anything you want to call it. I don't care. Mother Nature, God, Allah, call it whatever you want. But let it be a higher power. Let it be something beyond my ego. Something beyond my self-righteousness. Something beyond my mirror. Beyond myself. That's all it needs to be. I know that words like God are taboo today. So don't call it God. But recognize the need to where, for example, just to give you a little bit of a, a peek into this world, what's a kippah? A kippah is the understanding that there's something greater than myself. When I look at me and myself in the mirror, 
and I see my head, who's the highest part of me, I see my kippah and I say, there's something higher than me. And probably if I'm not reminded of it every day, on a conscious level, I could very easily forget every single day. For real. And we all have that part of ourselves that allow us to focus higher than ourselves, to focus to a higher plane. We are living through the time of transition between darkness and light, between exile and redemption. Out of the breakdown of the old, unworkable, we have the opportunity to create something completely new. In fact, it's our destiny. We have the ability to create a real destiny, not only a selfish personal destiny, but also a global destiny. When we all work towards the same purpose, understanding that this world is a beautiful place, understanding that the world is not controlled by leaders that have no idea what they're doing. Because if you want to go, sorry to use it in a, in a political circumstance, if you're going to go and say the world is controlled by Obama, you're in big trouble. Really big trouble. Whether or not he's doing a good job or a bad job, it doesn't matter. You're still in big trouble. To go and think about the threat of an Ahmadinejad that's looming over on a day-to-day -day basis can drive you crazy. He doesn't control the world. Obama doesn't control the world. Ahmadinejad doesn't control the world. The world is controlled by a higher power. The world is controlled by our good deeds, by our actions, by our ability to change, to go out of our comfort zone, out of the things that used to be, into a new world, into a new light, into a new life. And this is the entire purpose. This is the entire part of stepping into our Rosh Hashanah mode for the next 14 days. Getting into this change mode. What are we changing? Number one, we're changing how much we believe the news. Don't believe them. They're just trying to sell you something. You believe the car salesman? Or do you check to make sure the car salesman is right? Do you believe the guy that comes to your door selling all the as seen on TV chickens? It sounds great and he's going to try it out. He's going to show you how amazing it works. He's going to show you how amazing everything is. We have to watch out who it is that we believe. And what it is that we believe. What am I allowing into my life? over the next 14 days. I'm not saying forever. The word forever, the word for a year, the word for life, out of our dictionary. Let's say 14 days is too much. Seven days. Can we do seven days? Seven days. For the next seven days, what am I letting into my life? What is going to affect me? When I turn on the news and I see oh, you know, all the crazy things that are going on in the world, is it going to affect me? I'm stepping out of the casino. I'm not turning on the news. I'm going to put myself 
and change mode. Oh, but I'm going to warn you. If you do this, it's going to come at you from ways that you never thought could come. People who are close to you, experiences, things that you never see. Watch out. It's not them. It's you. It's me. They may be saying it to you, but it's not for them. Because they are only your mirror. What you see is a mirror image of yourself. What you experience is a mirror image of what you're supposed to experience, of what is supposed to happen to you. That's step one. That's the stepping out. Now, what's the transformation step? Taking on a deed. Something. Everyone at their own level. Taking on some deed. The best is, the greatest most powerful way of taking on a deed is by taking it on publicly. By saying, I will do this and this deed for seven days as part of my transformation process, as part of change. Fourteen days. I assure you, that the way you enter Rosh Hashanah is the way Rosh Hashanah will affect you. I'll, I'll admit to you, for most of my life, Rosh Hashanah meant absolutely nothing to me. I actually dreaded it. I, I, no matter what, I don't care, rabbi, no rabbi, being on... The busiest day of the year, not the busiest day of the year for a rabbi. It doesn't really matter. I didn't hear. I didn't feel it. It didn't mean anything to me. I walked in. I had to rattle absent-minded prayers that didn't mean anything to me. I didn't. Couldn't experience. I couldn't connect to it. Nothing really happened, and it came and went, and happened really fast. And there was a lot going on. And usually I was busy, so for sure there's a lot going on, and I can never even take in until a few years ago. I said, that's it. This year will be different. And I started from a few weeks before Hashanah. And I started really focusing, changing myself, learning about the prayers, learning about the meaning of this year, trying to connect to the universal spiritual experience of this day. The world is being created anew. There's got to be something spiritual about that. I don't mean in a physical level, because if it was a physical level, it wouldn't make any sense. I'm talking on a spiritual level. The world is being created brand new, all over again, from scratch, on a spiritual level. Brand new. Like you take it out of the package new. Brand new computer. Think about brand new. What is that? That moment. It lasts for about a day. That's all it does. That new feeling is a day. And that's what it is. It's all it is is a day. But spiritually, that is the day that we can connect. Connect in a way that we never did before. I'm on the, the, the 
the back page. This Rosh Hashanah, each one of us has a choice to make. We can choose to stay unconscious, trapped within the prism of our fears, confusion, resentments, and longings, remaining passive victims of circumstance. Or we can use this opportunity to begin to fly, to align ourselves with our destiny, to learn to be free. Freedom. Wrong holiday, right? What is freedom? Ask any teenager what's freedom. Desire. Any teenager wants to be free. A couple of years ago, in Covington, Kentucky. You know where that is? I was there. I have no idea where it is. So don't worry. All I know is we left the airport and directions to the airport was in Philadelphia, I believe. And directions to this place included turn off paved road. Anyway, I was invited to speak to a group of high school students. I'd be shocked if any of them were Jewish. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I just, I, 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 spec, I, I, just, I spoke and I left. I walk into this room. There's probably an auditorium of, I'm going to guess, 900 high school students. Huge high school. The topic is freedom. They brought a rabbi to speak about freedom. Don't ask. I took one look around this room. What am I going to say <laughs> to a bunch of 16-year-olds about freedom? Anyway, get up. And I just turned to them. I said, I just want to know. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you guys know everything there is to know about freedom. So please, somebody stand up and tell me about freedom. I'd like to know myself what it means to be free. Silence in the room. You can almost hear a pin drop. One girl stands up in the crowd just freedom in my eyes. She actually didn't say it like that. She said something like this. Freedom in my eyes. <laughs> Is being able to wear whatever I want and no one's going to tell me what to wear. Okay. There's freedom for you. 16 years old. We know everything there is to know about freedom. So tell me. Oh, person that wants to wear whatever you want to wear. What do you want to wear? Rabbi, no. She said, I want to wear what's in my closet. Sorry, I want to wear what's whatever I want. No one's going to tell me I have to wear this, the, the, the uniform and the da da da. I said, it's nice. But what do you think? If you were given a choice of what to wear, what would you wear? Tell me the truth. I said, I'll tell you what you want to wear. You want to wear what's in style. <laughs> And what do you think? Style just happens? Style is being created by some clothes designer in France. And the moment that designer wants another buck, there goes your wardrobe. You're free. She sits down. 
Troy Nestor, he's got to defend his, uh, his girl's honor, stands up. He's like, I'll tell you freedom. Freedom in my eyes. Being able to watch TV all day, no one's been telling me how much TV to watch. I said, really? He's setting himself up for failure. So really, tell me, what, do you, what kind of shows do you like? What's your favorite show? Some show. So what time is it on? Five to six. If I was a telemarketer, I know exactly when to call you. You're predictable. You're not free. Because you're going to be in front of that TV five to six every single day. You know that guy, Rabbi comes and says, you're coming to Shul this, uh, this week, Shabbat. This, uh, sorry, Rabbi, um, I can't. Why not? The game's on. You can tape it. Really, Rabbi? You can tape the service? <laughs> but even if you're not going to be there, you're so controlled by your show that you have to tape it. Is that freedom? And then I went on to give my speech. At the end of my 20 or 30 minutes of speaking, we came to a conclusion. Freedom is a choice that we have. To choose who or what it is we want to be controlled by. Do we want to be controlled by a clothes designer in France, by a television, or maybe by a higher power, by a God? It's our choice. We have free choice. There's a balance of all. The choice is free for us to choose. Yet, a passive choice is also a choice. Not choosing is also a choice. <clears throat> Freedom is a lofty concept. But it's lived in the choices we make each moment. In our relationships. In our spirituality. And in our commitment to a life of joy and fulfillment. In our awareness of God's nurturing presence in the intimate details of our daily life, in remembering that we're here for a purpose and doing something each day to make that purpose come alive. If you can create a new future, not based on your fears or past failures, who would you be? How would you behave? What would you dare to create? Who would you think? <coughs> Who would you listen to? And what would you share? What would you do to enhance your connection to God and your own essence? <coughs> what part of you that you've given up on would you start to nurture? What dreams might you make come true? My friends, Rosh Hashanah holds within it an awesome power. The light of the past is withdrawn. It's withdrawn. It's taken away. It naturally is gone. You don't have to throw it away. If you would decide on the morning of February 13th, that's it, my, all my past is gone, 
be really hard. But if you decide, on the morning of Rosh Hashanah, the past is gone. Spiritually, it's gone as well. So all you're doing is tapping into a spiritual consciousness. That's all you're doing. The past is withdrawn. And the light of the future has yet to come. Down into this world and into your life. The book is open. My question to you is what will you choose? What will you choose? What will you choose? I hope and I pray I'm not the only one that hopes and prays. There are many people past, present, and future that hope and pray as well. That this year, you and I choose a year of light, a year of consciousness, a year of joy, a year of fulfillment. And all it takes is the first step. Going zero to one. That's it. Just zero to one. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course... I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.